This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. Today we arrive at the midpoint of Paradiso. And here in Canto 17, Dante asks two questions to which we can all relate. What does the future hold? And will I accomplish my goals in life? Dante asks these questions of his ancestor, Cacciaguida, who has been talking with the pilgrim poet for the last three cantos. In these cantos, Cacciaguida recited the history of Florence and its fall from simple, noble virtue into decadence and decline. But now, Dante wants to learn not about the past, but about the future. And yet he is hesitant to ask what he most wants to know. Why? One clue comes in the opening reference to Phaeton, who to prove to himself and others that he really was a son of Apollo, drove his father's sun chariot across the sky. But his horsemanship skills did not match his ambition. As the sun chariot threatened to burn up the earth, Jupiter struck it with a thunderbolt, and Phaeton plunged to his death, a victim of his own ambition and pride. Dante also has a great ambition, to write his epic poem, and he is right to worry about pride. Not only is there the haunting emblem of Phaeton, who reappears regularly throughout the Divine Comedy, including in Canto 17 of the Inferno, but Cacciaguida has already told Dante that his son, Dante's great-grandfather, is toiling at the base of Mount Purgatory, a great stone on his back as he is purged of sinful pride. And Cacciaguida summarizes the history of Florence in this pithy epithet from Canto 16. Famous families undone by pride. But Beatrice Ert encourages Dante to ask his questions. And he begins with the first. What does the future hold? Dante has already been told in both the Inferno and in Purgatory about some of the grim events he will face. But he now wants to know the whole truth in plain words and with clear speech, so that, he says, my will would be content if I could know what fate draws near, for the arrow one expects comes slower. Cacciaguida agrees. He succinctly outlines the path of humiliation that Dante the poet has already experienced and which Dante the pilgrim must anticipate. Dante will be on the losing side of a civil war. He will be exiled from his beloved Florence. His allies will turn against him and his own political ambitions will lie in ruins. He will, in Cacciaguida's words, become a party of one. It may seem surprising that this bleak future that promises hardship, sorrow, suffering, and loneliness is recounted in the sphere of Mars. The Mars cantos celebrate feats of Christian warriors. 
including Cachaguida himself, who died in the Holy Land whilst fighting in the Second Crusade. And this canto extols the virtues of Verona's leaders, particularly Con Grande, to whom Dante may have dedicated Paradiso. We might then expect Dante's great-great-grandfather to shore up his descendants' confidence with stirring words about the glory and grandeur of fighting for Christ. But he doesn't. In some of the most poignant lines in the Divine Comedy, Cachaguida sums up Dante's future. You shall leave behind all you most dearly love, and that shall be the arrow first loosed from exile's bow. You shall learn how salty is the taste of another man's bread, and how hard is the way going down and then up another man's stairs. And yet, although God sees with his eternal vision all events in the river of life, it is Dante who must choose how he will steer his little boat through its swirling currents and hidden shoals. Throughout the Divine Comedy, Dante the poet wrestles, as did other medieval theologians, with the mystery of God's foreknowledge and the nature of human freedom. God knows all things, but humans must make wise and virtuous decisions. They must, if they wish to participate in the beauty of God's design, choose the good. This is not an abstract argument about predestination and free will, but rather the reality of lived experience. For Dante, the pivotal choice in this canto is whether, with his political ambitions in ruin, he will still be able to fulfill his poetic ambition. Because the problem, Dante says, is that as he journeyed through the inferno, up Mount Purgatory, and even now through the heavenly spheres, I have learned things that, should I recall them, would discomfort many with their bitter taste. And indeed, as we've seen throughout the Commedia, Dante launches blistering critiques against powerful figures, both dead and alive. Critiques that indeed taste bitter. So this is his dilemma. Should he placate his contemporaries and be a timid friend to truth? Or should he fulfill his vocation and boldly write what he has seen and heard? It shouldn't surprise us that truth-telling is the pivot on which Dante's vocation turns or that it is foregrounded here at the midpoint of Paradiso. Do you recall Gerion in Canto 17 of the Inferno? Not only was Gerion with his face of a just man and body of a serpent the emblem of fraud, but his body was covered with colorful, beautiful, eye-catching patterns. Gerion was himself a work of art an artifact, a visual poem that distracted and deceived. Now, in Canto 17 of Paradiso, 
Dante must reclaim art for true beauty, true justice, true order. And to do that, he must use all his skill, all his rhetorical power, all his poetic genius to describe the vision he has been given. But he must also speak clearly to his readers for the sake of the common good. Near the end of the canto, Cacciaguida tells Dante to reveal his vision using an elegant, lofty term but to reveal it so that those who itch may scratch, which sounds just as colloquial and earthy in Italian as it does in English. Art tells the truth, but it tells the truth to others in language they can understand. Art does not merely revel in its own expressivity. Poetry truthful poetry, does something for and to its readers. Cacciaguida affirms Dante's poetic vocation as a calling that's been gifted to him for the sake of others. And it is a gift that must be pursued despite the cost. For even if your voice is bitter at first taste, it will later furnish vital nourishment once it has been swallowed and digested. That is why you have been shown this vision. Insofar as Dante is willing to tell the truth, he will achieve his great ambition. Unlike Phaeton, he will not crash and burn, but he will suffer. In this militaristic sphere of Mars, Dante the poet is painfully, exquisitely aware of the limits of physical force and the devastating effects of violence. Though he described the cross of Christ in Canto 15 in grand crusader terms, here he invokes it as an emblem of the suffering Christ, the victim bought and sold his life sacrificed for others. He also portrays another victim, the exiled poet, the refugee, wearily plodding up and down another staircase, eating bread salted by tears. Here we see Dante turning his poetry into sweet nourishment for his soul and for ours. By naming the despair of forced immigration, he gives us the language to lament it. By telling us stories, he kindles our own moral imagination. By telling the truth, he reminds us of truth's power. So, what should an artist do in a world rife with war, betrayal, exile, and poverty. Dante tells us, forswear all falsehood and tell the truth. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com.
100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Tory Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.